But I'm going to pray, and y'all please agree with me. Just let me know. Are we ready? Everything's good? All right. Father, we lift up this time in the Word tonight. We ask you to bless this time and let everything be accomplished in it to it that your will to be done. Lord, I ask you to come upon me and speak through me everything, that you would anoint me and speak to me everything that needs to be said tonight, that there be a flow. And I ask you that this will be as living seed sown in a good soil. Help us by your Holy Spirit even right now to have good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, um, that the Spirit of God has prepared the soil. We ask you to anoint our eyes and our ears, and let this be as living seeds of truth that's sown into that good soil, watered by the Spirit, and will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, let there be a washing of the water of the Word. Let there be a light of revelation shining, dispelling any darkness, any lies, any deception, and bring truth and revelation knowledge. Lord, let this be a hammer that breaks through. Let it be a sword that penetrates. But Lord, let this go forth and accomplish everything it needs to in every life. Help us, Lord, during this time to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus, to have eyes and ears of the Spirit, and really receive. And Lord, we believe together that as we submit this unto you, we resist the enemy. And the Bible says that the enemy tries to steal the seed or hinder God's word. So Lord, we bind up. In the name of Jesus, anything that would try to hinder this in any way, we bind it now and we command it to go in Jesus' name from this place and this time. And those hearing, we break its power, it goes now. And we thank you for your angels just clearing it out. And Lord, that you would come and move in power and confirm your word afterward. Let there be a strong move of the precious Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for it. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as you go that way, if you could shut the door and y'all just look this way and give me your best ear. All right, well, again, I was saying earlier that this is just for River of Life. This is some prophetic insights, some things God has shown me. And so this is not really something I'm going to put out for the masses and get out there on the Internet and all that. It may be to some degree there, but um, this is mainly for River of Life, okay? So while I was up here praying, um, the Lord just dropped this into my spirit. He began to speak to me. And I'm going to share with you, because I quickly started writing down what God gave me. I didn't put it in the notes. But this is what he spoke to me. He spoke to me about an end time glory. And what he said to me was this. I felt this very strongly, that this glory and what's about to happen is much bigger than just river of life there is about to be a glory come into river of life that is so deep and powerful it will take away the frustrations that we've been facing i feel it is connected to the fall feast and it is connected to end time prophecy and we need to be ready by deeply consecrating our lives that's what i felt the lord give me and after he gave me that he began to give me some revelation for this sermon so i typed it up and um, and then here we are as I present it. So the two things that God has shown me very clearly. One is is there is there's about to be a significant increase of His glory. And the second is is that He's about to release mighty angels. And I believe this may already be happening as I'm preaching tonight. But these angels are going to break through. They're going to deal with things that have been stubborn. So those are two things that are coming. Y'all are pretty quiet. I thought maybe y'all like that. 
But anyway, the two things again, God's about to increase his glory big time. Uh, we've had a lot of increases through the years, and thank God we keep going from glory to glory. And I believe this will be another increase, but I believe it will be very significant. And then also his angels are going to be at work, and they're going to be going behind the scenes. The angels of the Lord are going to begin to deal with things that need to be dealt with. They're going to break things open, and it's going to be very powerful. So please, if you're taking notes, jot those two things down, the glory increasing and the angels being released, and please pray into that. All right, so I'm just going to give you this sermon tonight. If you all give me your best ear, because I believe you'll really get a lot out of this. So I'm going to start with Isaiah 4, verse 4. It says, The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem. See, in that time, you understand that there was a lot of sin going on. And so God was saying there had to be some filth that's washed away. And there was some shedding of blood. And one of the things in the Bible that God always hated, and he hates to this day, and I mean he hates it, is the shedding of innocent blood. It defiles the land. And this had been happening, and the Lord said this, that he will have to wash away the filth of the women of Zion, and he would have to cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. So I want you to notice that the spirit of fire that has to do with the Holy Spirit's glory, fire. So God was going to bring like a purifying fire to come in and begin to purge and clean the house and purify. Then, after that purification, then the Lord will create over all the Mount Zion and those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of a flaming fire by night. And over all, over everything, the glory will be a canopy or that can be translated a defense, like a protection. Verse 6, it will be a shelter and a shade from the heat of day, a refuge and a hiding place from the storm and the rain. So you see here that God came in, and by his spirit, he began to clean house and purify, and that's been going on in River of Life for some time. Then, after he purified, he said, then my glory will come in, and it will be a canopy. It will form like a dome of protection, and it will shelter you. And how many of you guys know, in the day that we're living in these latter days, God's people needs the glory, and we need the glory to be our defense and to bring protection. And so here's some things I felt God wanted me to share in the way of a prophetic sermon and I'll do my best to present this tonight, but I believe that you're going to really be blessed by some of these things. But number one is I did that Mikdash series in the past where I dealt with God's sanctuary. This is holy ground. And I think a lot of times people don't really realize how sacred. When God brings his presence, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but when God brings his glory into a place like he's done here this is holy ground I, I meet with a pastor friend of mine periodically and we come up here and we pray and the last time I was with him we were here on a Monday night we were praying together and this was maybe a week ago and when we were praying he uh, we you know separated and we pray individually then we come together and agree about some things 
And he had just gotten on his face and he was really seeking the Lord and he said that he felt like this was really holy ground. Almost like he needed to cover, you know, it was like hallowed. And he felt like there was a glory. And it was interesting that he would say that because he had no idea that I was going to be sharing on this in the church. I mean, obviously he doesn't come here. And, he, and so he did, he's not even here during the services. But when he laid on the ground, he felt this is holy ground. This is hallowed. And so let me just read you a couple of scriptures and then let me make a point that I need to make about that. In Exodus 3 verse 5, then he said, God speaking to Moses at the burning bush. God spoke out of that fire to Moses and said, don't come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. Moses, from his very first encounter with God, the very first thing God revealed to Moses was that where God's presence is, is holy ground. And God was teaching Moses to reverence that as holy ground and reverence his presence. And I could see Moses taking off his shoes and just getting kind of on his face or on his hands and knees before the Lord and humbling himself in his presence. And then Exodus 29:33, all those years later, when Moses had led Israel out of Egypt, and now he was in charge of, of them building the tabernacle, which is an unbelievably amazing study. But it was something that was heavenly, that was replicated, replicated on the earth, where God's glory would dwell in a manifest way. And when God was speaking to Moses, he told him, he said, I will meet you there. And he's talking about the tabernacle with the sons of Israel. So in other words, people will come here. And it's called the Mishkan in, in Hebrew. People will come to the Mishkan and they will be in my presence. I will meet with them. But look at what he says here. And it, the tabernacle, shall be consecrated by my glory. So God was going to consecrate that place with his glory. And the interesting thing about the tabernacle is that it was portable. So, you know, many times they would pick it up and move it, but yet everywhere they went, God's glory would still come with them and settle there, and that would become holy ground. So let me just say this. I dealt with this in the, in the Mikdash series for those that were here. But we have to be really careful about the presence of God, the glory of God, and God coming down like that and this being holy ground, we have to be really careful. In the Mikdash series, I talked about there was a friend of mine back years ago. I was probably around 20 years old at the time. And we had gone to Brownsville to the revival. There was a group of us and there was an older gentleman from the church that was with us. And he came there. He was really hungry for God. And I remember you would go to Brownsville many times. It was such holy ground. And the glory of God was there. It was just a very hallowed thing. And I remember that as he was with us, I was quite young. And all those that were there, for the most part, if I remember right, were pretty young. There were some adults from the church that were older. But I remember he had brought some anointing oil with him. And I saw him in the corner of my eye. And he was there. And he was just kind of praying. And he anointed himself. He anointed his head. He anointed his hands. And, um, and then he's kind of, you know, do you guys, you guys want to borrow the oil? And of course, well, yeah, you know, we're anointing ourselves. But I, it stuck with me because he reverenced that place as holy. And he reverenced God's presence. 
and coming into that he wanted to anoint himself and make sure that you know he was right and everything was the way it needed to be in his personal life coming into that I think that probably the greatest problem right now in the church world and I've thought about this for a long time and there's many problems how many knows many not a few but I think probably the greatest or at least one of the greatest problems is a lack of the fear of God because that's a foundational problem people are not repenting of their sin because there's no fear of God people come to God's house and they have all kinds of junk in their life stuff they've been doing through the week and they come in there and lift up their hands and act like they're worshiping God but yet they've just been in sin all week there's no fear of God it's a foundational problem and I'm just telling you as we are going to go into this time where um, God is going to be increasing his glory that this is very holy ground very hallowed and I would encourage you to take it serious so there needs to be that hallowed fear of God and then secondly what is God's glory and what did it do for the nation of Israel God's glory two words in the Bible describe the glory the Shekinah and the Chavod the Shekinah glory has to do with what is seen like a cloud um, the fire of God on Pentecost you saw the fire the flames of fire on the head um, it's something that's seen the shining you remember Jesus' garments turned the bright white when he was transfigured all of that was a was the glory of God it's like a bright shining or cloud the Bible says God wraps himself with light as a garment that has to do with the Shekinah aspect of the glory but the Chavod and it's a K-A-V-O-D um, some people have translated it C-H-A-B-A-D and that's fine but that's not really exactly the right way but anyway it's Chavod and that has to do with like a weightiness a heaviness of God's presence and this is something that's not necessarily seen but it's felt y'all hear me it's not seen but it's felt the Chavod glory of God is a very weighty heavy presence of the Lord and I've mentioned that at times um, like in the Azusa Street Revival there tended to be like a on the floor something that was like a cloud and they all they had was just a piano and it was kind of one of those really old-fashioned pianos and a guy would play it and they would begin to sing and worship and brother Seymour would have them sing in tongues as they begin to worship and sing in the spirit it was really beautiful people that were there said it, even though maybe there had been it might have been a smaller number singing it sounded like it was a lot of people even though it was just a piano it sounded like there was more to it than that and it was it was very heavenly but they said that that cloud that was on the floor as they were really worshiping would begin to come up and would go over their head and it would just kind of be all around them and different people were in that cloud and they you know you're in that day after day and and people didn't really realize how physical it was or whatever but one person I remember they were telling a story they brought those old mason jars and he was you know in the cloud and he was like put the jar and he thought when he left there and you know like a, like you would catch smoke or something he was trying to just feel this thing out but of course it did not go with him and not only that but you know you would think when you move your hands like this through it and you're worshiping that if it was smoke or something it would move 
but it wouldn't because it was the presence of the Lord in just a, a Shekinah way. So the Shekinah in Hebrew comes from a root word Shekinah, which just means to dwell. It's God's abiding, dwelling presence. And that's where the Mishkan, in Hebrew, the Mishkan, it comes from the same root word, to dwell. And so God allows his presence, his glory, to tabernacle somewhere. And he's been doing that in River of Life for a while. And I've always said this, but the spirit of Elijah has been at work for a while in River of Life purifying, cleaning house, dealing with things that needs to be dealt with. And, and that's a preparatory thing. That's that spirit of fire that's burning and cleaning house to prepare for a great visitation of God's glory. So that's what the glory is. The glory is just simply God's manifest presence. It's not the anointing. They're two completely different things. But the glory is God's thick manifest presence. All right, so the glory, when it tabernacled in Israel, and it tabernacled in that what's called the Mishkan or the tabernacle, when the glory came there, and from that place, from the Ark of the Covenant, there was a pillar of fire that would go up from that ark all the way up to the sky. And the Bible says it, it you know, kept them warm. You know, and also, it, would, it was a cloud that would go up in, in the day and would be over their head. They were in the desert, but it provided some kind of shade. And so the glory of God in the midst of Israel brought several things but i just want to point out four things number one it brought great protection how many knows the glory is a defense it will bring great protection number two in the glory is supernatural provision their clothes did not wear out their sandals didn't wear out remember in the glory that they were in there was manna God just supernaturally provided for them their needs. There was water that would come from a rock. All of this was very supernatural. But it was in the glory. The other thing was health. In the thick manifest presence of God, there's a lot of healing and health. And then number four is victory over their enemies. They fought enemies that they should not have defeated. They were a ragtag group of refugees that had only been slaves that had never in their lives picked up a weapon, but they're fighting trained warriors and winning battles. So it was supernatural victory, but all of this was in the glory. Y'all mind if I get a little deep and sidetrack for a moment? All right. And a lot of the Hebrew teaching, I believe there's something to this. It's really interesting if you'll hear me all the way out. But they believe that there was three major miracles in the wilderness. Major. There were many miracles, but there were three major ones. One is the water from the rock, which remember that Paul said was Christ following them around. The second was the glory. The Shekinah. That there would be this cloud and it would lift up off the tabernacle and go in front of where Judah is. And then they would march out. They would follow the cloud. And that cloud, that glory was a major miracle. It's something everybody saw. And the third was the manna. And they felt that if you studied through the, the Bible, it's really interesting. They felt that 
they called the rock the water from the rock Miriam's well remember that Moses Aaron and Miriam were brothers and sisters right and they were the main leaders but they called that Miriam's well it was really interesting to me because two things the reason why they believe it was connected to Miriam was because when she died the water dried up and the children of Israel were saying we need water and that's when Moses had had a belly full of them and 40 years of grumbling and complaining took a toll on that man I'm telling you and he was supposed to speak to that rock but he lost his temper and whacked it and um, it cost him he couldn't go into the promised land but but they believed that that water drying up had to do with Miriam's death which is really interesting now now this is symbolic but isn't it interesting that Jesus is called that rock by Paul and Jesus's mother's name was Mary but in Hebrew her name is Miriam it's interesting isn't it the other was Aaron and they believed that the glory of God had a lot to do with Aaron because of his priesthood because it was his responsibility to continually every day which I'll probably talk about this he had to kill lamb morning and evening and he prayed at the tabernacle people brought their offerings and as long as everything was the way it's supposed to be under his leadership the glory of God was in their midst in awesome way and then you read about you know we knew that the glory protected them but isn't it interesting that right after Aaron died that Israel's enemies attacked them and they had to make a vow to God and then they won a battle but it was like something changed there at Aaron's death and then finally we know that Moses was the last of the three to die and when he did Joshua brought the children of Israel into the promised land and the manna stopped so they felt that the manna was kind of connected to Moses so with all that said we are a kingdom of priests unto God Jesus is our great high priest so understand that up until Christ the Aaronic priesthood was in motion people had to come to the tabernacle later the temple they had to bring their offerings everything was officiated by the the high priest and the other sons of Aaron but when Jesus came and he died it's interesting not to get too much on the uh, rabbit trail here but John the Baptist in the book of Luke it says that he was a direct descendant of Aaron so in actual fact John the Baptist was supposed to have been the high priest but the truth of the matter is that because Caiaphas was Rome's pick he was a, a political person how many of you guys know man always wants to put somebody political in authority and they don't want a man of God like a John the Baptist that's going to preach the truth in that position see what I'm saying so John went out in the wilderness he's really in God's sight he's really the high priest and he's also a prophet in the order of Elijah now, Jesus came as the son of David and he he went to John a lot of people are wondering why did Jesus get baptized well they don't understand the Hebrew roots and they haven't studied this out for there to be a passing of the priesthood remember John is the high priest in God's eyes for there to be a passing of the priesthood when a high priest turned 50 it's time to retire and so he would take his son and he would have to immerse him in water it's called a mikveh and he would have to offer up a sacrifice for him the ram of ordination blood was shed 
and then he would put those priestly garments on him and he would anoint him with oil and it there was a transference of the priesthood there and now he would enter retirement he was basically now somebody that was an overseer and would give advice but now it was his son's job to start doing all that his father used to do when john when jesus came to john and said it's it's god's plan here that we fulfill all righteousness jesus is called our great high priest in the order of melchizedek melech means king zedek means righteousness jesus was king because he was in the lineage of david he was king but he had to become the priest and so when john the baptist immersed him and he came up and the spirit of god came and settled on jesus like a garment john said he must now increase and i must decrease why because john passed the priesthood and the prophetic to him he's the king he's the great high priest he's the prophet i must now decrease and whereas john was saying look my job is done i was a voice crying in the wilderness i prepared the way for him now i'm passing everything to him so when jesus went down he was the son of david he was king but when he came up he came up great high priest in the order of melchizedek king of righteousness all right couple things the glory of god is coming and we've had the glory here but i want you guys to understand it's about to increase and i want you to be ready for that and god is releasing mighty angels that are going to deal with stubborn issues this has been something only he can do you have to understand that we're this church but this is this is a big end time event that's going on out there with satan fighting against the purposes of god and end time prophecy having to be fulfilled and you see what i'm saying we're just this little group over here and we've been praying and believing god but there's about to be a major shift and it was interesting because i i got that from the lord and i was telling my wife i got back home and i kept thinking to myself somebody else said that about the glory this year i kept trying to remember and there was a, a preacher that I respect, um, Brother Kilpatrick, John Kilpatrick. He had a prophetic word for the end of this year. So I went back and, and was listening to it. And sure enough, he said at the end of this year that there would be a glory start coming back to the church like never before. So that brought a lot of confirmation to me. All right. So here's a couple things. So just trust me, there's about to be a glory come. But I'm going to give you three things I feel that you need to know number one is about passover and about the communion table now i could do a series and i have on the communion table so i have to limit myself talking about this but it's very powerful and it has a lot to do with the glory and god is wanting us to always go from glory to glory so every year if you look at the feast of the lord it begins at passover but it ends at tabernacles and i understand there's two more that's been added later but the seven main feasts of the bible it's the same type of pattern my wife and i minister to people about deliverance and so you have to get people to deal with stuff and get it washed away by the blood and cancel all that legal ground and get that junk washed out of their life by the blood and that's passover and then you have to take authority over the devil 
It's the anointing that destroys the yoke. So we destroy the works of Satan. We break strongholds and curses and bondages and addictions. And, and we take authority over demonic forces to leave people. That's Pentecost, Shavuot. That's the power of God, the anointing. But then you have to replace that. You know, where stuff that's bad has left people, now you need the good to be put in their life. That's important. And so that's tabernacles. That's the glory. The Bible says in John 1, I love this, it says the word became flesh and dwelled among us, but in the Greek it actually says the word became flesh and tabernacle among us. And I love the Feast of Tabernacles because it has everything to do with the glory of God tabernacling among his people. And so you see through the year that the feast is meant for God's people to get freed up from anything that's been hindering them, to get a fresh anointing and a fresh empowerment at Pentecost, but then to go to a deeper realm of the glory at Tabernacles. So every year we should be going from glory to glory. How many places do that? Sadly, most don't. But we should be going from glory to glory. The truth of the matter is, is that your relationship with the Lord is ever growing. We should be knowing things this year we didn't know last year. We should be closer to Jesus last, this year than last year. We should be moving into greater realms of the glory this year than last year. So we should be having a progression the rest of our lives. But so many people get to some level and just hang out there. But I love Passover and, Pente and Passover in the communion table. Now follow me because I'm going to talk about the tabernacle for a few minutes. The outer court, if some of you want to look this way over by Brother Zach and his handsome mug. Right there, you see right there. You can like model it for me. Yeah, thank you. It's over there. Those that are watching this, just bear with my corny jokes. All right, but, but the outer court is where the blood was sacrificed and the laver where people would wash their hands and feet. The priest would wash their hands and feet. That's, that has a lot to do with salvation. It's the cross, water immersion, all that. But we're living in the church age. I don't want to get too deep, but the outer court has to do with the age of the law, the holy place, the church age, and the holy of holies, the coming of Jesus. We're in that holy place here in River of Life, okay? Inside the tent. The veil's been ripped. And so every year, there should be this cycle going on where we're going from the table of showbread, the blood, to the menorah, the anointing, but to the golden altar of incense where the glory of God. Isn't it interesting though, for those of you that are familiar with the tabernacle, that the writer of the book of Hebrews puts the golden altar in the Holy of Holies, which we know it wasn't there. But it's interesting because Jesus ripped the veil. So in actual fact, the golden altar is right by the ark now. So in other words, in, a, in the priesthood of Jesus, when you get to that golden altar, you're also right there at the glory. There's no veil. And so in River of Life, we have this time of the communion. And I believe personally that God is going to begin to deepen what's going on at the communion table in the days to come. Because the communion table is very significant. Listen, we talk about these three things. I'm going to talk about them right now of communion, water immersion, and the anointing with oil. 
these are three sacraments in the church but let me tell you a lot of people don't realize how powerful they are this this is just oil you know just for an example this is just oil you could use pretty much any oil it's not about the oil but whenever we're using it to anoint people and pray it's holy and God gets in that and it is a very powerful thing the same thing with the communion it's just bread and it's just juice but when we set it apart for communion all of us are taking it the Lord gets in that covenant meal and it becomes something very powerful and the water of immersion is just water but I'm getting ahead of myself but the glory of God is in that water I'm telling you it is a very powerful thing so let me go through this so Passover which has to do with the communion table and in the in the tabernacle it's the table of showbread I'm here familiar enough with the tabernacle know what I'm talking about on the right when you went in the tent on the right there was a table it had 12 loaves of unleavened bread and a pitcher of wine it was a picture and type of communion so this is the first stop all right here we go Psalm 105 37 then he brought them out speaking about God bringing Israel out of Egypt God brought them out with silver and gold and among his tribes there was not one who stumbled and that translates there was not one that was sick or feeble they were all healthy and strong so how in the world that a group of people who were slaves who were dirt poor and you know as well as I do living like that that they had a lot of health problems you know they did how in the world did they come out of Egypt now with silver and gold they're blessed with prosperity and they're healthy and strong something happened at the that um, Passover meal something happened that healed them something something happened to them that brought prosperity isn't it interesting what does the Bible say in 3 John 2 it's God's will he said I pray that you might prosper and be in health as your soul prospers but you see that right here prosperity and health that's God's perfect will and I believe that the communion table is the fullness or the fulfillment of all of this and Passover too they go together so let's look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. 23 this is a familiar passage but in light of what I just said let's read it 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. for I received now Paul remember he was a Jewish rabbi so he was a Hebrew scholar he studied the word he knew these Old Testament stories he probably had them memorized in the original Hebrew I'm sure he said I received from the Lord so he received something directly from Jesus Paul was not at the that Passover last supper with Jesus Paul had to get this later you guys ever think about that he said I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you in the Corinthian Gentile church that the Lord Jesus in the night he was betrayed he took bread we remember that afikoman bread speak a blessing it's wrapped it's put away it was brought out he took that bread he gave thanks he blessed it we're familiar with this Passover meal he blessed it in Hebrew he blessed it he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me then in the same way he took the cup the cup of remembrance this is the third cup the Bible says after the meal he took the third cup which is the cup of redemption held it up 
He blessed it in the same manner. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So he tells us here, as often as you desire. You can take this every day, however often you desire. And let me just say this so I don't forget to say it later. As I get older, I got to think about those things. But let me just say this right now, that it's important that we don't add to things. And the Catholic Church during the Dark Ages really brought a lot of false teaching. Um, the communion table was never intended to be something that you only can do at church. It was never intended to be something that could only be administered by a priest. And it was never intended to be something that there was all these limitations on. We, all of us, are a kingdom of priests. Christ is the great high priest, but all of us are part of the priesthood. And so we can take the Lord's Supper at home. You can take it as often as you desire to. You can take it with your family at home. It is definitely not something intended to have all these religious ritual traditions of men attached to it. All right, so he said, as often as you eat and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there's something about communion that's getting us ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner, and that means in the Greek disrespectful, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. A man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. Let me just say, before the priests could go into the tabernacle and there was that table of showbread there that they could eat of and drink of the fruit of the vine, before they could do that, they had to visit the laver. And at the laver, they, you look down in it, you see a reflection of yourself, and they had to wash their hands and their feet. They had to wash. And so it was a cleansing before. Isn't it interesting? The Bible says before we take communion that we need to take time to examine ourselves. In other words, you're washing your hands and feet at the labor. You're making sure you forgive people. You make sure you repent of any sin and just get that week off. See, your feet represent your daily walk. And during the course of the week, many times people pick up some dirt. They're walking throughout this world. They're at a sinful job. They're around a bunch of junk. You hear what I'm saying? Your hands are the works of your hands. And God wants us to take some time Make sure we forgive. Make sure we confess and repent of any sin. You examine yourself before you take of that communion table. And it says, He who eats or drinks this in an unworthy manner drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many... Look at this. For this reason, many among you are weak, sick, and a number sleep. Talking about dying. Uh, think about those words, weakness, sickness, and premature death. Now, on a positive note, the communion table should be providing strength, health, and long life. It should be a part of that because what are we doing? We're remembering what Jesus did on the cross when we take it together. We're consecrating ourselves, and we're laying hold of the promises of God that by his stripes were healed. So it actually should be bringing a blessing on you. But people that were doing this in a disrespectful way, it was actually bringing judgment. 
But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. The problem was people were hungry in this Corinthian heathen Gentile church and they were just picking out on the bread and, and drinking all the wine up and that was what they were going to be using for communion too and the feast that they were having together and and Paul was saying look some of you guys are getting full of bread and getting a little drunk on the wine and other people are hungry you know you're sinning you're, you're making light of this that was part of the problem if anyone is hungry let him eat at home so that when you come together you don't come together for judgment and then it, that's really all that he said here about this but anyway the communion table is a very hallowed and powerful thing and I believe as we take communion together it brings a blessing on you it brings a blessing on your health it's a way the communion table is a way that God deeply consecrates his people so here we are we forgive people here we are we confess and repent of any sin we need to and what represents Christ's body and blood is going into our body and blood. The two become one. There is a deep consecration of this temple of the Holy Spirit. Are y'all hearing me tonight? All right. So the communion table, the table of showbread, applying the blood. There's something about that that's very hallowed and powerful. And I believe in the days to come, as we take time together to take communion and everybody's dealing with things and we're forgiving and we're confessing and and we're doing what we need to do and we come up under the blood together like that I believe that that is preparing the way for the glory of God to come in this place in much greater measure also the priestly blessing you know it's interesting that Aaron he got up and he would speak that blessing and it was the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And give you or it really is establish you in shalom. And it was powerful because the people of Israel. Whenever that blessing was spoken over them. Jewish writings said that there was that glory that was at the tabernacle. And Aaron would lift his hands. And tradition says he lift them. They still do to this day like this. Because of the letter sheen. But he would speak that blessing. They said that there would be like a light of the glory that would shine. And many times they would cover their head because they were kind of afraid because God was so close to them, you know. But he would speak that blessing over them and it was like the glory. And it was interesting that Aaron was used to help release the glory from the tabernacle area. He placed that blessing on people and it helped release that glory out to them and out spread it out into Israel does this make sense but that priestly blessing is very powerful and I try to speak that over you guys every week but there's something about that priestly blessing God said put that blessing on my people and I will put my name on them and I'll bless them so there's something about that that God's name is on you his blessings on you and where his name is his glory is all right and then the next point is about Pentecost, Shavuot. Now, you go into the tabernacle. Remember, the table of showbread. But then after that, to the left, you go to the menorah, the lampstand. This was a seven-branch menorah. And there was, you know, seven um, little fires on the top of it that were lit. 
that was the only thing that lit the holy place so every day if you can bear with me just for a moment here to give you another quick rabbit trail but every morning and every evening there was this korban tamid there was this eternal sacrifice what happened was how many of you guys remember reading in the scripture about the time of the evening sacrifice this happened or about the time of the morning sacrifice this happened this was like clockwork every day every morning well really the hebrew starts in the evening so every evening at three o'clock they would have a sacrifice and then the next following morning at nine they would do it every day and so in the evening aaron or his sons they would take and they would have to kill a lamb every evening every morning they did this twice a day they would kill a lamb the blood of that lamb was shed the blood of that lamb would deal with things in their life that maybe it wasn't right i also believe that it dealt with something in the nation if there was things that maybe wasn't right in the nation but remember that people were aware of this going on every day i'm gonna get to that in a moment and aaron or his sons they had to take a grain offering they had some unleavened bread they would put some oil on it sprinkle some frankincense on it put it on the bronze altar it'd be burning and they had wine and they had to pour that out like a drink offering it's a libation before the lord it's a picture and type of every evening and every morning coming under the blood of the lamb and a picture and type of the communion table for us today we have the fullness in christ we have the reality what was there just as a picture and type we had the reality all right so every evening aaron would do this there was coming under the blood a picture and type of communion he would go into the holy place and of course you could eat of the table of showbread it was available for the priest but he would go to the menorah and he would have to look at it and maybe some of those were put out he had to trim the wicks and make sure any of the extra fire burnt wick that was there you know he had to cut that off the middle one was always supposed to be burning it's called the shamas it was supposed to stay burning all the time but he would use that and he would light the others and make sure they were all lit make sure there was plenty of oil in there because technically this was not supposed to go out so he would tend it every evening and every morning and then he would go to the golden altar and it was about waist high it had gold horns on each corner and it had a golden bowl now think about in the book of revelation the lord said that they were golden bowls brought before the throne of god incense was coming out of them and it was the prayers of the saints follow me for a moment so every day aaron had done all this now he's at the golden altar he had to take a hot coal from that fire outside and how many knows that you've got to learn how to do all this right because you're doing some work you don't want to burn yourself so he takes hot coal and put it there in the bowl and he had some of this incense it was four parts ground up together it probably looked a little bit like baby powder or something but it was ground up four parts the four parts represent praise worship prayer and intercession he would take that and he began to sprinkle that on that coal and it would begin to fill that place with the fragrance of that incense and he would begin to pray that breast piece was on him he was praying for israel and you got to understand that people during this time and understand this was before jesus came so probably there's some truth to this but everybody if you weren't there around that area people would turn 
around the time of the evening and morning sacrifice they would pray toward the temple and they believed that as that priest would stand there now understand he's already dealt with stuff in the outer court now he's in here now he's worshiping he's praying they believed that their prayers would come toward the temple with his and they would get intermingled in that incense and they'd go right up to the throne of God so they would pray toward the temple I really believe that in the Old Testament pattern there was probably a lot of truth to that I believe there was some kind of an open heaven there and I believe that those prayers went up with Aaron's and his sons before the Lord but in it interesting today in Christ Christ priesthood that we come together Jew and Gentile together we have the communion table the Holy Spirit moves in our midst that's the menorah and we come together what praise and worship pray and intercede it's an incense that's going up before the throne it's a very powerful thing and God wants it to come out of a burning heart like that burning coal it comes out of your heart it's heart worship and heart prayer so let me move on the menorah the menorah speaks of Pentecost so you have the table of showbread that's Passover now the menorah is Pentecost the sevenfold manifestation of the Holy Spirit to come as the Spirit of the Lord wisdom revelation counsel might knowledge the fear of the Lord when the Holy Spirit comes in his fullness it's like a menorah he's coming in his fullness full flame he's coming as the Spirit of Elijah and this has to do with Pentecost and I'm going to show you something let me read you 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1 y'all still with me all right for I do not want you to be unaware brethren that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea now this was in Israel when Israel left Egypt they had Passover now here's the story and Paul said that they were under the cloud and passed through the sea look at this verse 2 they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea two different things and they all ate the same spiritual food and interesting that they there was manna but what do we have today the communion table spiritual food and they drank from the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and that rock was Christ isn't it interesting that Jesus has released his precious Holy Spirit and Paul said that we are all given the same spirit to drink you guys gotta understand we preach the word and feed you but when we anoint and pray over you in the altar time it's the Holy Spirit filling you it's like the drinking of the Spirit of God but let me focus on water immersion for a moment let me finish this so nevertheless the Lord said with most of them God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness they died in the wilderness how many knows that we do not want to die in the wilderness we want to possess our promised land verse 6 now these things happen as examples for us so that we will not crave evil things that they craved do not be idolaters number one that we do not have other gods and that means in your heart there's nothing before God there's no other relationship it's not about making money it's not about all these other things that people get caught up with he's number one he's the centerpiece of your life and he said some of them did that they sat down to eat and drink but they stood up to play they worshiped other gods the golden calf etc 
nor let us act immorally as some of them did when 23,000 fell in one day remember Balaam told Balak if you get the beautiful Moabite women to come in and seduce them they'll become sexually immoral it'll bring God's judgment so God was saying do not let idolatry in and don't let any sexual immorality in your life all right and then the third one he said nor let us try the Lord as some of them did it was destroyed by serpents sorry here's the third one nor grumble now this uh, this may convict some people but God does not like grumbling and complaining as some of them did I'm serious I mean it's a serious stuff some of them did and they were destroyed by the destroyer now these things happen to them as an example and they're written for our instruction whom the ends of the ages have come so don't allow idolatry don't allow any type of sexual immorality and don't allow grumbling and complaining being negative all right but what I want to focus on here for just a moment is water immersion this is such a powerful powerful thing it makes me sad I think that you know the Bible says we all have the mind of Christ I think that some of the more orthodox churches understand the communion table more deeply than a lot of the spiritual churches and I also think that a lot of our messianic brothers and sisters that have a Jewish background understand water immersion a lot more than a lot of the spirit-filled people that are out there but the one thing the spirit-filled people all understand that the others don't a lot of times is the anointing with oil which I'll get to here in a moment but all three of these are extremely powerful the Bible says they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea all right as they went through that Red Sea they had already been at the Passover so they had already come under the blood because of the Passover coming under the blood they came out healthy and prosperous but God was preparing them for Sinai where the glory of God would come now I mean knows God's got to get us ready to come into his glory so on their way out God had them deliberately cross the Red Sea and God water baptized a nation and it was a cleansing they were baptized in the cloud and the sea I'll come to the cloud in a moment but they were baptized through that water into Moses and it was a washing it was a cleansing it was interesting that remember this about water immersion the same water that baptized Israel was the same Red Sea water that closed behind them and it separated them from their past and it also what destroyed their enemies you know how many people when they come to know Jesus have all these enemies that are trying to follow them water immersion will destroy those enemies water immersion will help separate you from things of your sinful past I could easily do a sermon on water immersion I have to limit myself but I'm just gonna say a few things I have seen it with my eyes and I've heard many many stories that people being water immersed were healed they were healed physically they were healed from mental and emotional problems they had. there was literal healing that happened to them and what do we read about in the Bible you remember Elisha told Naaman the leper go dip in the Jordan he got ticked but he didn't understand if he had understood the Hebrew culture 
that anytime somebody was unclean, they could immerse. And there was a, a water immersion in Mikveh. And there was more to this than what Naaman understood. But anyway, as he went and immersed, that leprosy came off him as healed. How about the angel that stirred the water? And the first one in was healed. And Jesus, when he spit on the ground and put mud in some guy's eyes, told him to go wash with water, and his eyes were healed. There's something about this. I have had testimonies in River of Life, and I have heard many other testimonies of people that were healed during water immersion. And I'm just going to tell you that twice a year, we do a church-wide fast. And I know we're coming upon one. And as we do that, you know, we'll have at the end of it, we'll have a night kind of devoted to deeply consecrating our lives. We'll have a special time at the communion table. My wife and I will anoint everybody with oil in a special way and really pray over you. And then we have water immersion. You guys know what I'm talking about because you've been there, but the glory of the Lord is in that water. And I've had times where we're immersing people and um, people could hardly get back up out of the water. I'm having to kind of pick them up because they were so overcome with the presence of God. But also, the water of immersion, I've heard many stories where people were delivered of things. I have seen it in River of Life and I've heard many other stories that people were set free from things that were in their life that was of the devil. Maybe addictions or whatever, but they were delivered. And I could tell a lot of stories about that, but just let's just leave it at that. So there's something about water immersion that there's a power in it, and the Lord will get in that water. And when you immerse people and bring them back up, there's something that is a spiritual cleansing that is separating them from their past, it's destroying their enemies. And because of that, there's a deep consecration, but many times there's healing. And there's deliverance. And it is a very powerful thing. And isn't it interesting, not only that, but the Bible says that when Jesus, of course, Jesus was being immersed for an altogether different reason. But Jesus was having the priesthood past him. But isn't it interesting that in water immersion, Jesus comes up and the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And I heard Dick Rubin say he felt that after people have been water immersed that they were more open to the baptism in the Holy Spirit and I remember during the Brownsville revival they had all this powerful water immersion services and I mean people were so overcome with the glory and many times they had to be carried out of the baptismal but also the leadership there said that people that were water immersed spiritually speaking were more stable in their walk than people that were not so it has a spiritual power. And just like communion, let me say this is very important that people hear this because you probably never heard this in your life. But water, just like communion, water immersion is not limited to just at church. It's not limited to only a pastor can do it only. And it's not just a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I think a lot of times people have been taught that, but see, that's Catholic. When somebody comes into Catholicism and they convert to Roman Catholicism, there is some kind of a sprinkling or some kind of a ritual that's done called baptism, and they become a Catholic. It's a conversional thing. In the Hebrew roots, the biblical, that is not there. Christianity is a new birth, and water immersion is there whenever it's needed. Man, that's a radical concept to some. But those that are in the Messianic community know exactly what I'm talking about. All right.
And it's interesting because at Sinai, we're talking about Shavuot, we're talking about Pentecost. At Sinai, the word of God was given to the nation of Israel. And on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, this was also Shavuot Pentecost, the same day the Holy Spirit was given. So Pentecost has to do with the word of God and the spirit of God being given to God's people. And that's the menorah. The fire of the Holy Spirit, that oil, that fire, but also the light of revelation is God's word. All right, the last one is tabernacles. This is what we're getting to tonight. This is what we're coming into. Sukkot, this has to do with the altar of incense, worship and prayer. Now, I want to show you something in the word here. Now, how many of you guys know that Jesus became flesh and tabernacled among us? And the Bible says that we are now the temple of the Spirit, but the temple and the tabernacle are synonymous. They're the same thing. So you and I are a living, breathing, walking tabernacle of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within God's people. And that's why at the day of Pentecost, you know, the, the people of God were familiar with the tabernacle. They knew that there was this skin covering and there was a pillar of fire on top. And they knew that on the day of Pentecost, whenever they saw little pillars of fire on top of each other, that now we have become the tabernacle. And that pillar of fire is over us and that glory is in us. Now, I want to show you something interesting about Moses when he set up the tabernacle. It was the second year Israel had left Egypt, year number two. And at the beginning of that year, Nisan 1, God told him to set up the tabernacle and to anoint it. Now, I want you to follow me because now I'm getting into the anointing with oil. Y'all ready? Exodus chapter 40. It's in your notes. Now, skip through some different portions. You can read the whole chapter when you get home. But the Lord said to Moses, on the first day of the first month, Nisan 1, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. Verse 9. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that's in it. If you read the story, Moses started in the Holy of Holies and anointed the ark. Then he came out into the holy place, anointed everything there. And then he went into the outer court and anointed it. So verse 33, he erected the court all around the tabernacle, the altar. He hung the veil. Moses finished the work. And look at this. After Moses anointed the tabernacle, who's the tabernacle today? Me and you. After Moses anointed the tabernacle, it says, verse 35, Moses was not able to enter wide. The cloud of God's glory came down and covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled and saturated that tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all of the journeys of Israel, Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. So I want you to think about something tonight. You are a living, breathing tabernacle. And whenever we anoint you with oil... We are setting you apart. We're consecrating you for the glory of God to fill and saturate you. Y'all seeing the pattern here? 
And let me say this is extremely important what I'm about to say. In the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 29, you should maybe read this when you get home, but Moses had to consecrate Aaron and his sons. He had to consecrate the priesthood. They had a ram of ordination. They had to have the blood. Moses took some of that blood, put it on their right earlobe, their right thumb, their right toe. He had to take some of that blood and mix it with anointing oil and sprinkle it on, sprinkle it on their garments. But they had to have the blood applied. Number two, they had to be water immersed. Each one of them. Moses water immersed them. And then after he put those garments on them, he poured anointing oil. He had to anoint them. All three of those things set them in motion as priests. Who are priests today? Me and you. What was the job of the priest? Worship and prayer. But what was, what was God doing? He was getting them ready for them to be able to go into where his glory was. Are y'all following what I'm saying? They had to have the blood applied. They had to have been water immersed. They had to have been anointed. And now they were ready to come into the holy place and minister before the Lord. They were, they were right there at that golden altar offering incense and worshiping. They were just a few feet from the ark. They were right there in the glory, right by the glory. So the anointing with oil. So as, as we begin this time of prayer and fasting, I feel this extremely important. If you just give me just a couple more minutes, I'm going to share just a few more things. We're going to have a time of humbling ourselves, prayer, fasting, giving, deeply consecrating our lives. I want everybody, please look this way and give me your best ear because actually this is probably the most important part of the sermon. I said all that so you could understand why we're doing what we're doing. And every year, we've been going to ever-increasing glory. We've been going into new realms of God's glory. Every year, it's been building. This year, there's a, I believe it'll be this fall, just based on what God is showing me and what God showed somebody else. But it may begin tonight. But God's going to begin to increase his glory. It's going to be significant. But as his priesthood, we need to have a holy fear of God. We need to reverence his presence, reverence his, this holy ground. Be careful when you're in here that you're not gossiping about people. God hates it. He hates it. You know, some, with some people, it don't take much. You just bring up somebody's name. Next thing you know, here they go. Um, be careful that you're not grumbling and complaining against the Lord. Be careful about what you're watching on your little phone in the presence of God. Just be careful because you're in holy ground and you're in the glory. And as we come in, here's the five things that we're going to be doing in the days to come. Isaiah 58 is extremely important. We're going to humble ourselves before the Lord. We're going to pray. We're going to fast. We're going to give an offering. And we're going to deeply consecrate our lives unto God. And that pattern there is a biblical pattern that God, we're believing him to take us deep in his glory. This is a biblical pattern of humbling yourself prayer, fasting, giving, consecrating your life, the Lord said, if you'll do those things, you will cry out to me and I will answer you. You will call unto me and I will be near you. I will, I will be here with you. How many of you guys want you, your life that the Bible says when I call out to the Lord, he answers. And when I cry out to him, he's near me. 
All right, if you'll live a life of humbling yourself, prayer, fasting, giving, consecrating your life, that's the pattern. And that's what we're going to be doing, and it's going to be extremely powerful. And I want to close out with this last revelation here, if you'll bear with me. You know, when, when Abraham, God had given Abraham a promise. Remember, I'll make you a father of many nations, all that. Abram left, and I mean, his name was still Abram, and, and it had been like 25 years, man. He's had to believe God. And Abram ends up having to fight like four kings in their military forces. He wins. And when he goes before Melchizedek, the priest, the Bible says, and y'all follow me, the Bible says Abram brought an offering. He tithed to Melchizedek, but he brought an offering. Him and Melchizedek, he's standing before the priest of that time. They had bread, they had wine together. They had a covenant meal. It's interesting because that's obviously for us communion on the other side of the cross. And then Melchizedek blessed Abram. He spoke a blessing over him. After that, everything that had seemed to have been just locked up, God appears to Abram, changes his name to Abraham, gives him the covenant of circumcision. Then next thing you know, three beings appear. God appeared to Abraham. All this just began to happen. Just bam, 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 bam. After that encounter. So there is something about what I'm telling you, this pattern here. But there's seven realms of giving, and this is where I want to close. But I believe this will really help you. My wife and I, we've always been tithers. When we got married, we've always been tithers, and God's always taking good care of us. But when I began to apply this, God began to really change some things. And this coming fall, God has increased us financially, significantly. But I believe it's connected to this. You know, giving is connected to revival. I don't know if y'all knew that. Because a lot of times when people are really in love with Jesus, it shows up in every area, including giving, doesn't it? But the Bible talks about if you tithe, he said, I will open the heavens and I'll pour out a blessing. The open heaven has to do with revival. And so giving does have a role in, in revival. It's certainly not the only thing. But I believe humbling yourself. I believe prayer and fasting. I believe being givers. I believe consecrating your life. I believe those five things have to do with revival. But one of them is giving. And so let me just show you what God showed me out of his word and my wife and I began to apply. Number one, don't glean the corners of your field. So a farmer would have to leave the far corners for the poor. You know, in a practical sense, I've used this example a lot, but when we go out to eat afterwards tonight, those that come and we go to Denny's, how many of you guys know that a lot of times those waitresses, they don't make hardly any money there. And when you leave a really good tip, see, you're, you're letting them glean from the corners of your field. You're helping to take care of the poor, the less fortunate. So that's number one, is giving like that. Number two is the first fruits. This is not your tithe. The first fruits is its own offering. Let me show you in the biblical times, a farmer would sow a seed, the latter rain would come. The latter rain came in the spring. After Passover, a lot of times the first fruits are starting to come up. You see the first fruits of the barley. You see some of the trees are starting to, to give some fruit. The farmer would mark them and he would go and he would begin to, to glean all of this first fruits and he would put it on his different beast of burden donkeys whatever and he would go 
toward the temple to give his offering and that's why that to this day Pentecost is known it's connected with the first fruits because the farmers they obviously they had to go to the temple anyway but they were bringing their first fruits to the Lord and the Bible says if you will honor the Lord with your first fruits your barns and vats will overflow there's abundance so my wife and I started giving above our tithe we started giving now we we felt led to do it at the turn of the Hebrew month you can do it at the turn of just a regular month or whatever but at the beginning of the month we felt we needed to start giving a first fruits offering and when we did that our barns and vats began to overflow more and more God began to increase us just like his word says and then tithing the Bible even says in Malachi test me in this it's interesting it's the only time I know of God said that but we've always been a tither but the Bible promises tithers he said if you'll tithe and he said to bring the full tithe that's before taxes are taken out okay the tithe of your increase God says I will rebuke the devourer I'll open the heavens part more blessings than there's room enough to contain powerful and then interesting because God you know a lot of people view Christianity as being I mean you guys know what I'm talking about the view is that the devil has all the fun or something and that Christianity is boring now that's a great deception but it was perpetrated by the Catholic Church during the Dark Ages because it was made to feel through Catholicism if you were impoverished and all this bad stuff that you were somehow right but anyway the second tithe was something that God said for people to set apart some extra funds so that you could celebrate before the Lord at these feast times so God wanted Israel to set apart some funds to party with him to feast with him to celebrate before him that's interesting then there's Musaf now this is at, Pente at Passover Pentecost and Tabernacles to bring a special offering unto the Lord the Lord said at Passover and Pentecost and Tabernacles don't come empty handed and I want to thank you guys that helped sow at Pentecost because we couldn't do what we're doing without people being givers you know but how many of you guys know it was worth everything we sowed into it? Man, that was a powerful time. But these Musaf offerings, it's connecting your finances with these feast times. It's very powerful to sow into these times. And then Zedakah has to do with alms to the poor and blessing Israel. So my wife and I also felt that above our tithe, we needed to start giving above that also to bless Israel and the poor. And so we would write that in. And I know several people are doing that. And so after tithes comes in, they'll come and tell me X amount came in for Israel and the poor. And of course, I add to it and then I send it out. But I'm telling you, that brings a blessing on you that are involved. And it brings a blessing on the church. The Bible says if you'll regard the poor, you'll be counted among the blessed of the land, not given over to the desire of your enemies. The Lord will be with you to, to deliver you out of any trouble and he'll heal you from sickness. That's those that honor the poor, bless the poor. Isn't that something? And of course we know Israel, y'all got quiet on me. We got givers here. Y'all aren't feeling convicted, are you? You guys are, most of you are givers, I believe. But anyway, blessing Israel, uh, there's a guaranteed blessing there. If you bless Israel, you'll be blessed. And then finally, a free will offering just whenever there's a need in the church. 
A pastor gets up and says, look, we need this, that, or the other people give into it. That's a free will offering. But these are seven realms of giving. And when my wife and I began to say, because see, I, I honestly didn't know all of this. I knew about tithing. I had never really done a deep study. When I did and I saw this, I told Sandy, I said, we're going to start doing it. And I got a piece of paper, and I began to look at all of our finances, all of our bills and everything. I said, we're going to start doing this. And so we started, you know, figuring out how, when and how we're going to implement all this. And we started doing it. I'm going to tell you, after we did it, God really started blessing us financially. And it was, it was noticeable. I'm just telling you. But giving is not just about that. Number one, giving financially pleases the Lord. So bottom line is that's the reason I do it. Are y'all hearing me tonight? because it pleases the Lord number two because it's helping the less fortunate and it's also advancing his kingdom number two but number three the Lord did say that he will in turn bless you too so that's an added benefit in there but I've learned from experience down through the years as I've humbled myself in prayer fasting giving consecrated my life there's been some major answers to prayer there's been miracles there's been a personal revival I believe the continual move of God here in River of Life has a lot to do with that. And if people will do it, if people will just listen to what I'm saying out of the word here and apply it to your life, you're going to see that a personal revival will begin to open up like never before. And let God deal with anything possibly in you during this time of fasting. Because see, sometimes there's idols people don't realize are there. Sometimes there's unforgiveness they didn't recognize. And sometimes there's flat-out false teaching that's in them. Sometimes there's attitudes about money and attitudes about preachers mentioning money that's demonic that's in them. There's nothing wrong with talking about money. If somebody has a problem with that, there's something not right in them. And I feel like for the most part, River of Life isn't like that. But there's, there's some people out there like that. All right. And so as you do these things, this is the pattern for revival and the glory. The Bible, this is what God laid on my heart. If we will do these things, the glory of the Lord is about to really come in an awesome way in River of Life. It will produce change and the frustrations will fade away. And God is releasing his angels on behalf of River of Life to deal with stubborn issues. But we need to get ourselves ready for what's coming. So everybody look this way and hear me. Let God do a deep work in you this fast. I encourage you to go after God like never before. You know, really go after him. Humble yourself. Go after him in prayer. Go after him in fasting. Let your fast be significant. You know, the devil has worked over time in this region. If I could just be brutally honest. To cause people to take things like this very lightly. To backslide, to be lukewarm. They'll be absent when they should be here. They don't really give when they should. They take fasting real lightly. It's almost like it's not really a joke, but they either don't do it or they really don't do anything significant. And it's just, it's demonic. It's what it is, it's the enemy trying to steal from you what God could have done in your life. It is a religious spirit that's trying to hinder you. Don't let the devil do it. Be aware of it. Pastor pointed it out. Now you know it's running around up there. Go after God. 
I mean, humble yourself, pray fast, give a good offering to the Lord, and really go after him. And I'm going to give you a sheet to pray over for the church, but make some personal prayer requests. And do some self-examining. I do this all the time. I've told my wife many times, you know, that during the week of just seeking God in prayer and doing some fasting, God showed me something. I was like, Lord, do a work in me. How many knows we're ever going from glory to glory? We're ever going from, from becoming more like Jesus to more like Jesus to more like Jesus. And God's got to change us. He's got to purify us. So be careful to not take it lightly and really go after God. So how many of you guys are hungry for the Lord to begin to come with his glory like never before? Man, I am. I believe that this has really been what we're praying for. I don't know exactly. So don't say that I said too many specifics. I don't know exactly when the glory. Brother Kilpatrick said it would be this fall. So I'm just going to take his word for it. But I believe God spoke to me very clearly that his glory is coming. And it's going to be significant and it's going to cause all the frustrations to begin to disappear. And that he's sending angels to deal with stubborn things. And as for me and my wife, all I can say is, is that in the days to come, we are going to pray and fast and go after God. We're going to sow a tabernacle offering. And I'm going to believe God for some incredible things this year. All right. All right.